welcome to selfdiscoveryradio.com. With over 1,400 shows, we have the answers for you. Enjoy your listening on selfdiscoveryradio.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Their Story Matters. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today is Dean Audette. I think we um, know that the measure of a man is how he loves his animal, and definitely Dean loves his animals. He loves dogs, so much so that he decided to train them um, for all sorts of things, but in one in particular, for people with autism. Understanding that what they give to people with autism and understanding a connection um, is so absolutely invaluable. A kind of a communicative link between animal and preferably child with autism uh, an understanding that perhaps we as humans can't articulate but the animals can. Dogs are something that um, are absolutely brilliant little creatures. They are so intuitive, they love you unconditionally they have a very high intelligence that's just not measured by us. It perhaps sometimes is even a little more profound than us. They love to work. They love to be um, adored by you by adoring you. Um, but they have so much more than just being the friendly household pet. They bring a great deal more. Unity, respect, understanding, uh, even a sense of community. And uh, they really are brilliant connectors. So we're going to understand the importance of a role of a dog today and also what um, Dean does as he trains them um, to be dogs that can be very calm, under control, quiet and behaved, uh, confident in their abilities, nurturing as a companion, discreet in public, housebroken and all sorts of other things. And we like to know that a pet isn't going to go and run wild, right? I know there's that movie out there, what pets do when the house owners leave. Um, we kind of hope to believe that they're at the door or the window waiting for us. So let's find out exactly how dogs help autism and the journey that it took for, do uh, for Dean to come along this way because he didn't start off doing this. It's something that led him that way. So come tell your story with us, Dean, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Sarah. It's great to, great to be here. Well, I, I really much admire what you're doing. I've done a number of shows on autism. Um, but, you know, never mind autism on its own. Um, animals in, on their own are, are beautiful creatures that have a wonderful connection with us, but an enormous calming effect on us. And I think they can take us sometimes outside of ourselves and put us just in a sense of simple love and just simple... Um, joy of living, can't they? Absolutely. You know, if you look at it from a scientific perspective, it, it's proven that they actually reduce our blood pressure, reduce our heart rate a little bit, which has obvious benefits. Um, but, you know, when you look back far enough in, in history, these were actually wild animals that we as a civilization, you know, started sharing our lives with. We invited them into our homes with us. And uh, it, it's pretty phenomenal that we get to spend our lives with, with such an animal that can have such an impact in our life and, and such a profound improvement in our life. A hundred percent. You know, um, I've just lost mine of 14 years, 14.7 um, years to be exact. And um, I had to say goodbye. And I gave her a beautiful death. The vet came here and she had a steak dinner and ice cream and everything else. And uh, it's... You know, she's 
gone now, which is fine for her because she was over a hundred. But the love and the condition that she gives me even still, you know, in my heart, in my soul, they never leave you. Um, and they change you so considerably, don't they? I think they make us much better human beings. For sure. I've, I've had this conversation with people who have never owned a dog, and, uh, and, and it's difficult to explain to somebody. You, you mentioned the ice cream. It, <laughs> it, it's trying to explain what ice cream tastes like to somebody who's never tried ice cream before. And uh, the, the joy that dogs can bring you is, uh, is pretty special. And, and I love watching the, the, the joy uh, on a child's face just as much as, as a senior citizen's face and, and everywhere in between from the, the relationship that we can have with these wonderful dogs. Yeah. And you know, as I said, I, I think they do make us better human beings. I think actually the animal race at the present moment is showing us how to be human. Um, you know, you, you know, you're seeing them go, kind of go above and beyond, and the way they connect with other animals. That, well, that's meant to be your enemy, and it, they're not. You know, they're they're not even frenemies. They're people that they're animals that reach out to other animals in need. And you see video, video, video. You know, where where an animal has saved the life of another animal, or a, a child, or a human, or crying at the grave, refusing to leave. I mean. There is so much empathy there and so much love. We could probably write a book just on, uh, on those types of relationships. Mm. I, I have some very cherished memories growing up as a child uh, on farming and ranching memories. And <clears throat> one, share, one story I'll share with you. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I was coming out of the farmhouse. I was young, perhaps eight, nine years old at the time. And uh, many of my cousins and uncles and father were with me, and we were uh, walking out, and we saw a horse running full tilt through the pasture, which is beautiful to see. Mm -hmm. But what was even more amazing was one of the German shepherds that we had on the farm with us was on top of that big horse, <laughs> riding that horse full tilt through the pasture. And, uh, and, and I'm so glad that other people were with me because... Uh, I'm sh quite certain that they would have teased me endlessly yeah. thinking I was crazy if I would have told them that story. I mean, you know, you think about it, Abe, the trust from the horse to let the dog get up there, <coughs> and then the horse having to hold on, you know. Well, it, it's a pretty incredible relationship because yeah. the dog is a predator and the horse is obviously prey, and, and generally predators and preys don't, don't get along well, so it was pretty cool. So, yes, either the horse invited the dog up or the dog... Uh, asked for permission to to get on, but in in some way there was communication to begin with, and then some mutual trust and mutual respect between uh, between the two animals that that happened there. So it's a pretty beautiful that I was able to observe that. Yeah, what a gift! What a gift! Um, and uh, and again, kind of you know that case in point, meant to be predator and prey, yet you know um, just chose to be friends and respect one another. And I think this is something that they're teaching us to do, is that respect and that unconditional love. You know, it isn't I will love you or I'll care for you or I'll do this if. It's just, <laughs> you, know, you know, here's my good vibration, let's it connect and let's go and have fun. You know, um, and I think we could lighten up a great deal and learn a great deal from that ourselves. I agree. One of the, the greatest lessons that I've learned from dogs is they, they don't sit there and stress about their past like we as humans do and they don't sit there and plot their future like or worry about their future like we as humans sometimes do but they they live in the moment and i think if we could do that a lot more we as humans would have a whole lot less stress in our lives 
Um, yes, uh, you know, the, the most thing they're worried about is the, the next walkies, cookies, and, uh, you know, cuddles. You know, I think that's, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's it, you know, and when's dinner, you know. Um, <laughs> but even when you reprimand them, you know, I remember somebody saying to me, and it was quite profound with the training, don't go reprimanding them hours later for something they did hours ago, because they have no idea what you're talking about, and they don't know why you're angry at them. I absolutely agree with that. So we have to treat them in there now. So if they, you know, if you come home and you find they've chewed the slippers, uh, then you deal with it in that now. But you don't bring it up hours later because they've already moved on. So now you're making them feel guilty for something they can't remember what they did. Guilty or or just vastly confused. Yes. Yes. Exactly. I think you know the the great lesson here is to live in the now. Because, as you said, we stress over the past, we worry about the future, and we forget about the gift of the present. And if we kind of followed their example and just simply enjoyed the moment, um, we would actually make the most of our moments and probably not have so much to worry about in our future and not much to stress about in our past. <laughs> Absolutely. If we could only all learn that as a civilization from these wonderful dogs. Yes. Um, you know, and it's not just dogs either, is it? I mean, horses and other animals, but they're kind of obviously a little less snuggly and cuddly, and you can't really kind of take the horse and the car with you. Uh, and cats, too, they're very independent. I have a 17-year-old cat um, still here. And uh, although they didn't necessarily curl up, uh, they had a mutual respect to keep each other's distance, and that's the way it's always been with them. But she's mm -hmm. roaming the house right now because she knows she's gone. And she seems to be like just going from one room to the other, going like th this is something odd here. And, and it's um, that connection, that mutual thing is gone between them. So, <laughs> but the cats are very different, right? They're a little harder to, um, to kind of just fool around with or have that communication with. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely different psychology for sure. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I, I think that there's, uh, I don't know what the ratio is uh, for, for cat owners, but I do know that 85% uh, of people in North America have at least one dog. Mm -hmm. So when you do the math, that's a lot of people that are having some pretty amazing relationships with our, our four-legged canine companions. Yes, absolutely. Um, man's best friend, and absolutely true on that. So, you know, you grew up on the farm and around animals and obviously saw that spectacular uh, vision of dog on horse there. Um, but, you know, why was it that for you that it became like, I've got to work with dogs? Uh, so much <laughs> so that you decided to go and take, a, you know, um, sociology and psychology classes to understand, you know, the working relationship between man and dog even more. But, you know, when was that click for you? You know, I've, I've had a passion for these animals ever since I was old enough to walk, and uh, my, my aunt used to joke that if she couldn't find me, she'd, she'd whistle for the dogs and I'd just come running too. So they're, 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 they're quite literally a part of my, my DNA. They're, they're part of my, my makeup. They're part of my childhood. They're part of all of my, my very special memories. And, and growing up in that environment, um, you know, when, you, when you're a small child, you just assume that everybody's world is the same as yours. And um, as my world started to grow, I, I quickly realized that not everybody had the, the, the same upbringing and, 
and education that I did working with some some pretty special cowboys that really nurtured what they said was was a gift uh, that I had. So as I as I moved from from that environment a lot more into the cities and saw people struggling with their their dogs, you know, I uh, it, it didn't take me long for some friends to say, hey, you're good with dogs. Why don't you come over to our place for supper? Mom will cook you supper, and <laughs> have we got a dog for you? Kind of thing. And, um, you know, it, it started off just helping a few friends here and a few friends there, and it's mushroomed into literally helping thousands of people over the years with, with dogs with behavior issues. That's kind of where it started. And, you know, I think deep down we all want to make a difference in this world in one way or another. And, and quite literally, I get to make a difference in people's lives one dog at a time. And, and that's pretty special. When all is, is said and done, that will be uh, that will be our legacy when we leave behind. Mm-hmm. And you know the the thing is is that when you know people get uh, dogs for different reasons, and the one thing I I really can't stand is do not get a dog and then you're working eight or nine or ten hours a day. Dogs get lonely. You know they they're not they don't want to be there all day long, and it's not fair on them. You know either range of walking thing or you know neighbors that come by or something. But you know. A, and also, when I see it, that they're just outside all the time and they're not the family dog because, you know, oh, yeah, I got it as a family dog, but it's outside all the time. But wh- where's the family dog there then? It's not sitting on someone's lap or by someone's feet. It's not playing with the children. Um, so I think a lot of time people just get a dog for the sake of it, but they don't really want one. I met one guy who said, uh, yeah, no, I can't have it in the house. I don't want hair on my pants. Well, when you've got a dog, you're going to get hair everywhere. <laughs> and if you <laughs> connect to that dog, you don't care. All right, when you're sweeping and vacuuming it up, yeah, you know, God, this dog sheds. But, you know, it's, you know, it's, you're just so beyond that. So there's some people that shouldn't have animals, right? Not the right mentality for it. I, I, I remember seeing a bumper sticker that said, any good outfit comes complete with dog hair. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I used to wear black and white for my black and white dog, so it wouldn't matter if you saw hair on me. <laughs> we looked alike. And, and, and really, they're, they're not lawn ornaments, are they? They're living, breathing animals that that, exactly. uh, that deserve that relationship, and they and they crave that relationship. I mean, that's what, you know, they just want to please. They just want to please. When you're sad, they're there. That little face is in your lap. They're giving you all that love, those beautiful doughy eyes, that paw on your lap. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I have, I have a story I think that you will enjoy. Um, this was my fourth Border Collie, uh, my second Border Collie had in South Africa. And um, it, we have a beautiful coastline along the Cape where um, it's sheer rock down to the water, rock you know, up above you. And I'm driving along there with, in my open sports car with my dog. And I had been given a tranquilizer that they have, it took off the market because it made people high. And I was so high, I thought I could fly. And, you know, I'm just driving along, and she barked at me, and I barked back at her. She put a paw on me, and I put my hand on her paw. All of a sudden, she jumped on me and literally pushed me like when my foot came off the pedal, and I came to a stop. I'm on the edge of a cliff, merely an inch or two from the edge of that cliff. And I was heading to go straight off that cliff. I didn't want to die. I just thought I could fly. And she knew. She saved our lives that day. And I can't remember how long I sat there, was snapped out of whatever this thing was, and realized exactly what she'd done. 
and so the intuition of an animal is unbelievable and we really should pay attention to them yeah it's it's amazing there's so many wonderful stories like that and i don't think that we as humans fully comprehend what they are capable of even yeah. at this point yeah and and it's time we kind of looked upon them as our children right they're just the furry children um, and also that they have a conversation and they just communicate in a different way. And if we're still enough and we listen to them, they'll always be able to relay to us what, what it is we need to know. We've just got to find that channel. So why... Um, be, hmm, sorry? I was just going to say to be humble enough to listen. Yes, yes, I- exactly. Um, they are not inferior to us. They are our partners. I mean, as I said, they're... You know, my animals get treated like my children. Um, autism. Where did you see the connection between um, autism and dogs? Well, my my wife is a, a music therapist, and she has worked with uh, with this community for many years. So it, it's a community that's been very special to uh, to our family's hearts for for quite some time. And uh, it's actually the the autism community that has has reached out to us. And um, the, the demand for these dogs has become so great that the providers throughout Western Canada cannot keep up with the demand. And people have uh, heard of our reputation working with, with dogs and, and dog psychology and have reached out to us over the years and said, can you provide this? So as we, we, we looked into it a little bit to see what the definitions were of, of exactly what they were requiring the dogs to to be and, and to do well the, the the definition as an example uh, of the provincial government's standard to be certified as a, an autism support dog is pretty much exactly the same definition that we call a balanced dog okay a balanced happy dog and and that is what we expect from our dogs every single day Mm-hmm. So it was really a no-brainer that, that we were able to provide uh, this, uh, these special dogs for, for this need and, uh, and since then have, have passionately done so. And it's just so thrilling to work with these families and, and see the amazing difference that these dogs make in, in these children's lives. Give me an example of, you know, uh, um, um, you know, I understand how they communicate, but give us an example of how, you know, um, a dog can communicate, so especially with an autistic child, what they can do for them. Mm-hmm. But, but before I do that, I want to actually touch base a little bit on how, uh, how different types of, of mindset can really affect dogs. So when, when we look at things like um, dementia, Alzheimer's, those types of things, those can actually be somewhat of a negative to the dog, and the dogs will move away from those types of people. I'm certainly not an expert in, in the, the human psychology of, of what's going on when, when a person suffers from, from those types of conditions, but uh, looking at the dogs, the dogs feel that, that that person or that type of mindset is out of control. Right. So it, it's interesting that for the majority of the autism spectrum that the dogs are actually attracted to the, the autism and have the, the, the feeling and the, the, the instinct to nurture 
that and, and to assist those people. So that is is pretty wonderful that um, that they can first of all have that relationship, even though uh, the, the the child has challenges. I think actually because with an autistic child, uh, you know, there is still a complete channel going on. It's, it's, it, there's a complete connection. And I think just animals know how to tune into that channel. Where, you know, as humans, we're wanting to have everything verbally articulated, explain. Where animals don't need that. They just sense. And the channel is open. And I think with autism or dementia, the channel's breaking down and there is a disconnect going on. And I think that's probably what, why they, they can't kind of link with them because mm -hmm. the channel keeps going on and off. And how did they find that thread of communication? So I think that could uh, be it. it. It's it's pretty special. You know, I've come to strongly believe that any of the, the people that are diagnosed with uh, on, on the autism spectrum, uh, they're certainly not broken. No, they're, no. they're very special people, very, very special. And they communicate in ways that, that we don't and perhaps in ways that we can't. And, uh, and you're very, very right. The, the dogs can completely uh, pick up on those types of communication. And to the dogs, the, the relationship is, oh, oh hum, yeah, yeah. This, this is just normal. Let's yeah. just continue on. And, and, and it's not shocking to the dogs. It's not surprising to the dogs. It's not uncomfortable for the dogs. As, as many humans can have those types of reaction to something that is out of their comfort zone. Well, to the dogs, it's just life as usual, and let's continue on, and we have a job to do, and let's go do it together. Now, if you have a, um, I did a show just recently of a young girl with autism, and um, she actually went on to write a book and, and uh, you know, complete her, um, you know, graphics uh, training. And, uh, you know, it's more um, through a mother's love and nurturing that she's been able to do this. But uh, it, and her autism is more, you know, social interaction. You know, she's very mm -hmm. focused in what she does and the other. But I know somebody else who had a, an autistic child of the real extreme um, uh, side of things with the Tourette's and the, um, the OCD and, and uh, you know, the constant pacing and the constant noise and multiple channels on and at once. Can a dog cope with that? Because there's a lot going on all the time. Mm -hmm. The, the answer is yes, that the dogs can. It takes a special dog. It takes a lot of training. And it also takes uh, a very dedicated support system uh, for that dog, uh, meaning the, the extended family and, and support workers that work with that child to understand what that dog needs every single day uh, to, to be able to function in that environment. So the answer is yes, but it's not just let's go pick up a dog from from XYZ breeder and put it into that environment and, and hope for the best. It's, uh, th there's a very specific plans and, and, and procedures that need to occur to, to make that all happen. Because sometimes dogs get distressed when they see their owners in stress, don't they? You know, they can, they can start barking, they can start, you know, fidgeting or even getting a little aggressive because, you know, they don't like to see their owners in that stress. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I think they're more in tune with our thoughts and emotions than we are some mm -hmm. days. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I remember when um, my dad passed, uh, um, we had a very shady lawyer, and I remember he was getting my mother to sign something, and our dog was lying there next to her. And he handed her the pen, and the next thing he knew, the dog's uh, mouth was around his wrist. And she didn't bite. 
She just had her mouth right over the wrist, staring right at him. And my mother said, not this time, darling, not this time. And then she removed her mouth. <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, she just picked up right away. <laughs> this was a shyster and she knew it. <laughs> but, um, you know, I like the not this time, darling, but maybe next. So, you know. But Man's best friend, lawyer's worst enemy. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um <laughs> You know, there's also, I mean, just amazing uh, things that we see of, of, you know, dogs in the rescuing, you know, trying to rescue people, and, um, and and they have such a bravado about them, don't they? I mean, they will go to the ends of the earth to try and save somebody, or, you know, not just emotionally, but physically as well. For sure. You know, if they have it in their mind that that they have been asked to to do a job, and they have accepted that role, they take that job very, very seriously. And uh, they will work uh, very hard to accomplish that job. You mentioned earlier that they're, they're, they're very anxious and willing to please. Mm-hmm. That is true. And they're, they're very thrilled to have a job to do. And, uh, and they take that job quite seriously. And, you know, the thing, too, is, is um, active dogs. I mean, you know, my breed was always Border Collie. And, uh, you know, they love the walks, they love the swim, they love the toys, but they like to be working, you know, give them something to do because they were kind of quite intellectual dogs where it wasn't just lay there, wait for us to go for a walk or anything. It's like, you know, what can I do now? What can I do now? And, and they love tricks and, um, and t- to show you exactly what they could do. So I think when, uh, when you are getting a dog, it's you really got to make sure that you go for the temperament that's going to match your lifestyle and or match you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we t- we we refer to it as energy. So right. there there's very distinct different levels of energy in dogs. There's medium energy. There's low energy. Uh, there there's uh, high energy, and then there's the cattle dogs. And the cattle dogs are in a category all of their own, uh, as you know, having interacted with them. Mm-hmm. They they generally have two speeds, on or off. <laughs> And uh, they are the energizer bunny of, of dogs. They, they have huge, huge endurance. But uh, the, the average dog, not, not all, but the average dog can, can easily handle 8 to 16 hours of, of walking a day. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the average human uh, is going to get quite exhausted with that type of uh, schedule and routine, but the, the dogs can easily handle that. Obviously, there's many factors that come into that health and and breed, you know, there's there's certain breeds that would find that quite challenging, uh, especially you know in extreme hot weather. But uh, you know, taking those factors out of it, you know, the average dog can handle eight to sixteen hours of walking. And we get asked often, you know, how how many times a week should I take my dog for a walk? Well, or how how often, how many hours a day should I go? Yeah. Well, you and I are going to run out of gas way before the dogs are. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, I mean, every time you stand up, it's like, is it a walk? Is it a walk? <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you, you know, like, I know I won't get a Border Collie again, you know, not at my age, and I don't have that kind of stamina anymore. So I would be going more for a lower energy dog now. So, you know, one that still loves a walk, but I can't do that extensive stuff anymore. Um, and I know it wouldn't be fair to the dog. And, uh, you know, we... I think when uh, you're taking a family dog, I think it's, uh, you know, it's really you've got to be mindful of the, the energy. How much time does that dog need? How much time are you willing to give it? Is it a dog that can be left alone for a few hours? Um, you know, I had a herder 
and uh, I used to say to people who are around kids, you know, I said, you know, please don't have your kid charge my dog. She'll think you're mm-hmm. another dog, right? And or she'll herd the kid. She'll hurt. No, I said herd, and she may nip to herd that child back into its pen because it's being too noisy and unruly. And you know, she's just doing her job. But to everybody else, they were horrified. You know, and so I had to be very mindful sometimes when we were around children. Mm-hmm. I'd like to address this if I could, I, yeah. uh, because I, I find mismatch of energy uh, to be a very, very important inter- uh, topic for sure. Uh, and, and if I could illustrate by, by sharing a story, we, we had a, a very wonderful young married couple come to us uh, with two young children several years ago, and uh, they, they showed up in a minivan, so I call it my minivan analogy, but um, they, they had purchased a, a Labrador Retriever, a yellow lab, and all of their family members have had labs, and they both had labs growing up, and they just thought the dogs were absolutely wonderful, and they had this, this fairy tale um, ideal of, of exactly how this dog was going to fit into their family, and uh, they, they came to us asking for assistance with the behaviors when the dog was nine months old, and the dog was a super high-energy, bouncing-off-the-walls dog. And, uh, and they were just at their wit's end. They had no idea what to do. So uh, in, in our research and asking a lot of questions, we, we found out the, the particular breeder that they had bought the dog from specialized in breeding super high-energy hunting dogs mm. with, with lots of drive and lots of energy. So here's this young family that wanted to go and buy a minivan type of a dog, um, got it home, started raising it, and quickly figured out that they had a Maserati. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with the Maserati, but that's not what they were looking for. So when I I showed them the analogy, um, I quickly tried to explain to them that it wasn't about the training. It was just this drastic mismatch of energy, and, uh, and we needed to trade the Maserati in on a minivan for them. And uh, we, we eventually did accomplish that and, and found a wonderful home for, for their dog, found them a new minivan-type energy dog, and everybody lived happily ever after. I love happily ever after endings. Yes. But uh, that, we, we, that story is unfortunately way too common where, where the humans are so frustrated because the dog doesn't match their energy. So it's, it's something that we definitely need to be aware of when we're bringing a dog into our homes. Well, it's not just going off to the, you know, off to the store and purchasing an animal and bringing it home and expecting it to fit your lifestyle. You've got to understand it's a living being. It has its own temperament, its own energy, its own needs, and you've really got to do a little more homework than that and a little more understanding um, of that match. And I think that that's where an awful lot of problems run into it, um, is that people do not go and do the research or, you know, oh, it's cute, we've got to take it home. It's not a toy. It's a living thing that you're going to be responsible for, for anything up to 13 to 17 years, depending on the breed. And you've got to be mindful that, that you know, the one thing that gets my goat is when you see how many senior animals are just dumped, you know, at um, anywhere because they require more attention now. And I think it's absolutely disgraceful um, that this is going on. And I feel for the people that that have got themselves into such a desperate situation that that actually becomes a good idea. And and I've been asked often, what is what's the solution to that? 
And the, the, the solution, like many other things, is education. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the frustration is derived because the humans are implementing human psychology, which is fine because that's the only lens that we have to look through. But if we actually take the time to educate ourselves and understand the dog's needs and the dog's mindset and, and, and their psychology, their thought patterns, we, we see the world through their eyes, and it's a completely different lens to look through. And uh, it gives us, it, it opens up a whole new set of options once we understand the dog's psychology. Yeah. And, you know, if you are going to get a dog, a cat or any animal, understand it has its own psychology and you can't impose yours on it. You've got to get to know what the animal's needs uh, or psychology is. Um, I love that somebody told me, interviewed another behaviorist uh, once, and he was saying that a dog, um, if a dog is playing up, it's the reflection of what's going on with you because it mimics you or it plays out your anxiety. Do you agree with that? For sure, they're going to mirror the, the energy of the room. So if, if you and I are sitting here having a nice, calm conversation and, and we have a dog beside us, and as a matter of fact, I have a dog right beside me at the moment. I have a German Shepherd laying right beside me, and she's laying here very calm. And uh, if you and I were to, to be in a room together and uh, all of a sudden there were several kids came in and they were rowdy and loud and having fun, the dog is going to match that, that energy. The, the we get back to they're in the moment, mm-hmm. and and they're very very sensitive to what's going on, good, bad, or ugly. Yes, so of course, if you know if there's fighting going on, you know there is. A, uh, my kids used to play fight, and you know there'd be the screaming, you know the the kind of the hitting and the wrestling, and my dog used to go nuts because she wasn't quite sure of who was hurting who, who should she nip, and after a while she got used to it. So what she did, she put a toy in her mouth. Mm-hmm. so that she wouldn't bite, and she would jump along with them, kind of growling at them, with the toy in her mouth, so that she wouldn't nip anybody. She kind of got onto it that they're playing, I'm going to join in there, but if I hear a little yelp that's not a play yelp, I'm going to let you know. And so she joined in with them, but it was very smart. It was her own you know, intuition that did that. Put something in my mouth so I don't bite. <laughs> They, uh, they're so amazingly sensitive to, to, to protection mm-hmm. and who is the most vulnerable and who needs that protection. Yes. Yes. And, uh, you know, of course, whenever you're sad, right, you want a, a dog around you. I mean, they're just the way they snuggle up or just the, you know, that look, you know, the head on your lap and those eyes, those eyes speak volumes <laughs> so much <laughs> so much conversation just had in those eyes you know um, and again I think not only just like you know learning to be in the now but learning to be tuned into your dog and and listen to what your dog has to say through those eyes through its body through you know the way that it just gives out that loving vibration to you you will find that half the time where you're chasing answers the dog has them because they'll, they'll calm you down and they'll just have you <laughs> even out into that moment to go, ah, oh, right, yes, that. And it's like the dog's told you, thank you, I didn't, I forgot about that, you know. <laughs> and it's, you know, for some people who aren't animal lovers, they just probably think you're nuts. But if you truly have a dog that you're tuned into, you'll understand that that's very much so what happens on. For sure. It, I think it's easy for us as the, as the human to put ourselves in that, that superior type position mm-hmm. of superior intelligence and, and sensitivity and so forth. 
uh, a few years back. We we live uh, on a ranch just out on the outskirts of a city, and we we were out walking in the wilderness. And I was I had twelve of my dogs with me, and two of my older dogs were walking. Uh, all of them were off leash, but they're walking beside me, and they started bending their necks and pushing their neck and their face into my knee as, as if to stop my progression. Mm. And my my immediate response is, you know, hey, I'm the boss here. What's going on? You can't tell me what to do, and and you shouldn't be doing these types of behaviors, and uh, and and correct the dog, and immediately tell the dog to stop doing it. And I proceeded on, and the dog did it again. I proceeded on and correct and and so forth. Well, about another hundred steps or so, I came over a little rise, and there was a bear over the other side of the hill, and I thought, well. It's probably good to be humble and listen to your dog sometimes. Yes. Not think that we know everything that there is to know. Yes. So many, many times since then, I have listened to my dogs, (laughs) and I don't know what I have avoided in other situations, but that time was... uh, was very blatantly obvious that that lesson had to be taught to me. (laughs) I was humbled. Well, I had a a situation, um, there's a park that I used to walk in with her called Mundy Park here in in BC where I lived. And there was a big, huge white rock and she's off leash walking, always a few feet ahead of me, but never far, you know, always within view. All of a sudden I see this black shadowing coming out from behind the rock and I realize it's a bear, sunlight streaming on it. And Coco was this side of the rock, the bear's the other side of the rock. And so I called her back, put her on the leash and told her to sit next to me. And I stood there, the bear came out from underneath the rock and just was staring at us and us having a conversation with the bear. Thank you very much for letting me come in your forest. It's a beautiful forest. You're a beautiful creature. This is your path. We'll wait for you. And she sat there absolutely calmly by my feet. Totally did not, no threatening, no pulling, nothing. Eventually the bear said its goodbyes and off it went. I waited for a few moments for it to get into the tree and on on we walked. Then she kind of became all, you know, kind of like bouncy. Um, I was so impressed with her, so impressed with her for being so calm. And another time a bear came right up to our window. And while it was at the window, she didn't bark. When I went to go and close the door (laughs) for it not to come into the kitchen, then she got Mm -hmm. defensive. But... This is twice now she's come face to face with the bear and not being threatened by it. And I was very, very impressed with that and surprised. I think that there's many people that would say that they're very impressed that you were so calm, Sarah. Ah, um, <laughs> you know, for me, as I look at it this way, um, if you don't send out the fret or the fear, what have they got to fear? If I'm not a fret and I'm not afraid, then why should they be? Because they react on fear, don't they? I love that philosophy. So it's, uh, I actually have a program called The View of Life, and one of those questions is about bears. And uh, I always wondered how I would actually react when I met one. And it's just so mesmerized, how the beauty of it. Um, you know, I have a friend that literally brushed a bum to bum with a bear the other day. But then uh, mo- days later, um, a mama bear mauled a child, protecting its young near food that they had mm-hmm. brushed. And unfortunately, they put Mama Bear down. And orphan bear is, you know, an, an orphan again. And it's like, where it's along the river. This is, this is its food source. This is where it lives. And we come along and get in its way and then kind of blame the animal for protecting its young. And, I, you know, I know that it's attacked the child and it's awful. 
but at the same time we also look at it's like aren't there other things we could do that could scare the bear off or let it know it you're not a threat and then um, you know the killing of them so but I know there's two sides to every story so mm-hmm. that is a delicate balance to to share this earth with the animals and, and live in harmony isn't it it is, and I think uh, you know we, you know, here especially in BC, we've got so much uh, building up into the mountains, you know, rape and pillaging the trees, which is you know where they live, and then they come down and get into our garbage because we're taking away their source, and then we, um, you know, then we look at and treat them as if you know they're a bird. Uh, how about we look at our actions? And I think, um, I think we could even look at that. If you have an aggressive dog, what are you doing to make that dog aggressive? Because they're not mm-hmm. aggressive by nature, are they? Oh, I was wondering how long it was going to take you to get to this topic. <laughs> <laughs> Is there such thing as, know, a, as a born aggressive dog? You know, I know there are some breeds that are more naturally born to it than, than others, but you know, do you get a dog right from the word go that's aggressive, or is it something that's learned? It's learned. The, there's the, the, the thing is, you know, I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm going to go ahead and say that the, the, the awful pit bull word. Yes, uh, I'm glad you brought that there's, up. There's many, there's many in the media that have tried to convince us that all pit bulls are, are these vicious dogs. Yes. Well, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it was the Dobermans, then it was the Huskies, and then mm-hmm. the German Shepherds. And, you know, it, so the pit bulls are just a flavor of, of, of this, this decade, so to speak. But, um, you know, I, I, I had a customer who was jogging in, in Kamloops, and they were attacked quite viciously by a dog and had to go to the hospital and, and get stitches in their calf muscle. Um, they, they were torn up quite badly. And uh, I alerted the media, and they said the first question they asked was, what breed is it? And I said, well, what does that have to do with anything? The dog has attacked other people. The dog has attacked children, people on skateboards, people on bikes. And the owners have said, if you don't like it, don't walk past our house. And there's no fence in front of their house to contain right. the dog. Right. And uh, I, I knew exactly where the media was going with, with the question. But I said, you know, it's a small breed dog, but what, you know, what would you do if it was a pit bull? Well, if it was a pit bull, we'd be there immediately. Yeah. But, you know, what, what breed? So I told them the breed. It was a, a Bichon Frise cross. And they said, oh, well, Dean, that's, that's not news. That's sick. <laughs> and, and, and that response made me very, very sad. Yes. And I've, I've been asked many times, you know, about the, the, the controversy on, on should we ban pit bulls. Well, the pit bulls don't know that they're pit bulls. The chihuahuas don't know that they're chihuahuas. Yeah. They're, they're just dogs, and, uh, and they don't know the, the specific uniform that they're wearing matters to anybody else. So I, I have found pit bulls to be really quite sensitive dogs. So then what is the solution? Well, we're back to the education. Yeah. So in this country, if I want to own a, a gun, I need to go take a two-day course and then take a test to prove that I'm safe with that gun. Now, if I want to hunt with that gun, I have to take another two-day course and take another exam to prove that I'm safe. So why wouldn't it be the same with dogs or strong breed dogs or large breed dogs, whatever the situation is, to, to say, hey, this is the, the breed that I want to own and, and let's go get some education because at this point, any person can go and, and obtain any breed in this country that they want with 
or without education. And I absolutely 100% agree with you. It's, it goes back to kind of like the old pet store thing. Oh, it's cute, let's take it home. And it's completely the wrong energy, as you pointed out, for the family. And then they take it out on the dog. Um, mm -hmm. it's the, you know, the dog is bad. It's a bad one. And again, it's mimicking what's going on in the family and the frustration. And, you know, I see beautiful pictures um, of, uh, you know, pit bulls with babies. You know, protecting that baby, you know, lying with the baby cradled in its in its paws or on its head. You know, if if it's brought up with love and obviously discipline, you know, every even a child needs to know its boundaries, the do's and the don'ts. And a, and a dog definitely needs to know that. Right. Um, and and it doesn't look at you. Oh, you've given me too much discipline. You know, um, <laughs> why can't I do that stamp in its paws? You know, it's like, OK, I know I can't do that. Um, it knows its limitations, but it works from the premises of love. If that's the way you've, you know, you've bought it up. Um, I agree that I think people who are going to have animals uh, should be monitored as to are they the right match? What kind of house is it going to? Are you going to walk it? You know, the, the, um, the energy matching, the temperament matching, because it's a life and you're responsible for that life not only the life of the animal, but then the reaction of that animal in your family. Um, I got bitten mm -hmm. by a mastiff when it was attacking my dog. We were renting a place and he had a mastiff and he hardly walked it. And we would take it for a walk and I couldn't hold on to it. My partner had to and he's strong. And it would be walking fine then suddenly lunge at somebody. And he's saying, oh, no, it can play with chihuahuas. It's, you know, it's docile. And it would lie in our bed and just want to be cuddled and hugged because he left it alone so much. And then he had a friend come to stay who had a few psychological problems and be pacing the garden very high pitch. And it wound the dog up and four times in three days attacked my dog. And one of those times when I'm pulling them apart, you know, I got bit. And after the incident, it didn't understand why we were anxious or nervous around it. And my dog would be hiding under chairs and we had to leave. But the mm -hmm. dog didn't know. It was just reacting to the atmosphere of that moment. And I made him give the dog up and he actually gave it up to somebody on a farm who was going to love it and give it the space that it needed. Um, but wrong person to have that kind of dog, uh, not looking after it. And then the viciousness came out not because it's a vicious dog, but because it was reacting to a situation. Mm -hmm. So there's two parts to that. You know, number one is every single interaction that the dogs have is training, good, bad, or ugly. The other part is, is you know, once again, here we are at the end of this story with a human being that is frustrated and does not have the education to know what to do next. What do we do? How many of those dogs get turned over to, to rescue organizations yeah. or, or simply just get put down. Right. And, uh, and there's no need to that. The, you know, the, if we have the proper education, the dogs aren't going to end up in that situation to begin with. So like you know, you've got here, you know, they, the dogs that you look after, um, you know, they're expected to be calm and under control, quiet and well-behaved, confident in their abilities, nurturing as a companion, discreet in public, housebroken, solid on recall, you know, heel sit down and all those situations, confident walking, well-mannered in crowds, no barking, no jumping on people. Um, you know, what age, is it right from the birth that you get them? Is it uh, right from the word go? 
um, that you, you start training them? Can a dog be trained later when they're a little older? So we like to start, uh, especially with the, the support dogs, we like to start with them right from their puppy and, uh, and then we've got the greatest chance of, of success in reaching our goals. Uh, simply because what I was just saying of every single interaction that they're having is is training. So we want to be able to mold that dog into into what we're we're looking for as, as the end result for that service dog. So can a dog that is an adult dog be trained to be a service dog? Well, let's say that we're talking about a two-year-old dog. We have two years of that dog being trained in its environment. So we have to basically at that point untrain those two years and start from scratch. So it's a bit more like working with a Titanic where we have to get that, that dog to the surface first and then start working with it. And still then it, it carries some of those old tendencies and habits mm-hmm. forward just like we would. Yeah. So, you know, th- there, are, there are certain people that, that train children from the, the time they're young to be you know, excellent musicians or excellent athletes. Uh, train them to, to learn different languages. We can learn so much more uh, when we're young, and it's no different with the dogs. So we like to, to start with them right from when they're a puppy, as early as we can possibly start working with them. Right. Now, that's you working with the dogs for autism, but do you also then train other people's dogs? If somebody's got a puppy and says, help me, Dean, train it for me, or help me, you know, teach me how to train it. Uh, can you help them right from the word go? To to be a support dog, you mean? Uh, no, just to, you know, a family dog. Do you do training? Oh, absolutely. You? Right. Absolutely. In that situation, we can work with, uh, w- with any dog in any age, any breed. Uh, I think the oldest dog we've worked with was a 16-year-old Border Collie. And uh, within two or three days, that dog had a a major turnaround and the, 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 the dramatic amount of stress that that dog was under was, uh, was dramatically reduced and, and we gave that dog a, a tremendously better quality of life for, the, for its remaining years. Pity you hadn't got there earlier. <laughs> mm-hmm. 16, gosh, what had it gone through? Um, so you're there to train, help people train their dogs. Now, of course, you're situated in, um, is it Kelowna or Kamloops? We're just outside of Kamloops. Right. So, so you obviously can help people within that vicinity, but uh, do you work uh, anywhere else? We travel from Victoria to Winnipeg and everywhere in between. We, uh, we travel to every major city putting on uh, big workshops and seminars to, to help people. And, and once again, that has been customer-driven where uh, the, the demand is there and they've required us to come to their cities and we're happy to do so. And, you know, again, I really love the idea of, you know, like, if you're going to have an animal, you know, be trained yourself to, to mm-hmm. know how to behave around your animal and what you're expecting that animal to do for you. Um, yes, they, you know, they're all cute and they're all fluffy, and then they start peeing or they start doing something and you get mad, but you haven't trained the animal to not pee. Mm-hmm. You haven't trained the animal not to do that. So starting getting mad at it and yelling at it, is not going to benefit anybody. I understand it doesn't work with children yelling at them <laughs> like that either. <laughs> I can verify that. I have three. Yes, no, it doesn't work like that either. Um, we don't want to be treated like that, and neither do the dogs. Exactly, exactly. 
And, uh, you know, also to understand, you know, accidents do happen. Do not punish when punishment is unnecessary. And, and, and I think going back to senior animals is you've got to understand they're going back to, to babyhood in a lot of ways. You know, things out of their control. Um, you know, what I found with mine was the, the pacing, like not knowing where she's going and then just standing there and not quite sure why she's there. Um, and, you know, the, I actually want the vet to come on and, and uh, share the signs of when to let go. Because, you know, uh, animals in the wild would just go off and die, right, when they were ready. When, <coughs> they're, when they're home animals, where do they go? And how do we know the signs of when it's time? That was my hardest thing. You know, the letting a go when the decision was made was okay. But the deciding when to let go was something that I didn't have any guidelines on. And I think, uh, you know, it's a hard one. Yeah, for sure. We've had to say goodbye to way too many friends that way over the years. And, and the time is probably sooner than any of us want it to be or, or we're ready to admit to it. Because uh, we, we, just from a selfish perspective, we just love them and we want them in our lives as long as we possibly can, right? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, but, you know, we've got to understand what's fair on them. And, uh, Absolutely. And, but it's, it's that knowing. What are the signs? You know, because when they stop eating, well, she ate like a horse right up to the last moment. And, you know, as the vet's coming, she's got a big bowl of ice cream in, in front of her. And so that wasn't one of the signs. You know? <laughs> um, so I'm sure there are other signs, but, uh, and they were. But, you know, I kept looking for the obvious ones. And she wasn't an obvious dog. So <laughs> she, liked, <laughs> she liked mama's cooking too much. Um, and, uh, you know, I think th the other thing would be, and of course it's another topic altogether, is the kind of food that you're going to feed your animal. Um, be mindful on that because there's so much bad food out there that uh, all, you can, all you're doing is creating a vet bill down the road. And, uh, you know, hearing how many dogs have cancer today, and that's, you know, primarily due to the food. Um, give it good quality food right from the word go. You know, would you feed it to your kids? Um, you know, the same ingredients. And if you wouldn't, then don't feed it to your dog. So, absolutely, I, I've I've learned a lot about uh, dog food and and this industry. It, it's it's quite an interesting industry, and uh, I've learned that there's three different levels of food. There is um, kind of a, a a low nutrition fast food, if you will, type of a a nutrition that you can you can find. There's the majority of the foods are kind of in the mid range, and then there's a few foods that are in the high range, and it's all separated by di digestibility ratings. And you can go online and, and research them and, and find out what foods where your food is rated. Um, but I, I have found that if I'm feeding 85% digestibility or higher, the dog is retaining 85% of of the food that it's eating and rejecting the only the, only the 15% that's left over. And at our house, that means a lot of uh, a lot less work of cleanup later on, <laughs> if, if you follow where I'm going. Yeah, I follow but, where you go. But what, I've, but what I've also found is if the digestibility is higher, I'm spending the same amount of, of money on the bag of food, but the dog actually requires less uh, food per day, and I'm actually saving about 28% on dog food in a given year. So... Uh, it's just win, win, win for for the dog. Better quality of food, less money for me. The dog retains more. I clean up less. That's all wonderful things. Yeah. And and you know the quick thing on grooming. 
you know um i know there's certain dogs that just don't need it a good brush down or whatever you know if they go for a swim but you know other dogs um you know i had a border collie who was very hairy and uh, you know like they need a they need a bath if they can't go for a swim to cool down because they sweat and mm-hmm. they like to be freshened up and and give them a good brush and get rid of those knots otherwise that matted hair can become painful for them um so if you if you can't do it yourself you know start them with the grooming very very early um because uh, you know it's it's not just to make them look pretty but it's at the same time to maintain that outer coat that's also very important Mm-hmm. I agree. It, it, I think it's wonderful to, to be aware that, you know, if you have the, the skill set and the talent to do everything for your dog, well, that's wonderful. If not, build yourself a, a wonderful team of people that are, you know, a good trainer, a good veterinarian, a good groomer. Have that really good team surrounding you so that you can rely on these people when you need them and, and keep your dog healthy and happy and, and comfortable, like you said. And, you know, another thing, when you're going to get a dog, it isn't just about you in having a leash, uh, the doo-doo bags and a bag of food, um, there will be expenses. And, you know, they, it may be the groomer, it may be the trainer, it may be the vets. Understand that that is in your budget. And, uh, you know, if you can't, you know, fulfill that budget, then think twice about having an animal. It, because um, there are going to be times they're going to need the vet. They all should have training right for the word go. I actually had a trainer come to the house and trainers at the house with the children so we could all have the same codes um mm-hmm. which my kids didn't necessarily follow um but <laughs> uh, you know which was a nightmare it was harder to train the children truly um and actually that's what the trainer said uh, they, it's not about training the animals it's about training the the owners mm-hmm. you know the animals get it very quickly yeah. it's the owners that don't <laughs> Well, once again, you know, like the, the the dogs think a little bit different than us. So once we understand that, and it takes a little bit more time to teach the humans, the dogs are already speaking that language, just like you and I, if we're going to become best friends, and perhaps you're from Russia and I'm from China, and our relationship is only going to go so far. But if somebody comes along and teaches you to speak my language fluently, now today our relationship can go somewhere that it hasn't gone perhaps in the last couple of years of us trying. Right. And it's no different with our dogs. Once we're on the same page... Our relationship with that dog can go places that we had no clue it could go. Right. And, you know, the one thing that you'll always have with a dog is loyalty. That uh, that comes in silent language. Um, no words necessary. That loyalty is there. They will be there for you no matter what. A cat can abandon ship. A dog will never abandon you. They are the, the very, very best friends right to the end and beyond. Like no other. Like it's no a other. wonderful relationship. Yes. And, uh, you know, I'm missing mine right now because it's only two weeks. Um, and, you know, everybody says, get another dog. And I went, no. I, you know, for me, I've got to get my life uh, in order before I do. Um, because I know, you know, the commitment. It is having a child. You're going to go out. You're going to go away. You're going to go this you know, if you're going to have to kennel your child while you're away or somebody's going to look after it, make sure that they look after that child almost as good as you. Um, <laughs> and if, if your dog doesn't want to go back to a place, there is a reason for it. They can't tell you the experience they had, but if they're all paws or down on the ground and, and you're having to drag them, there is a reason why they don't want to go back there. And we really should pay attention to that, shouldn't we? 
Absolutely, for sure. You know, dogs dogs are, have have wonderful memories as far as, uh, especially through through sense of smell. But their experiences uh, speak volumes, and, uh, and they don't yeah, know. listen 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 to the dog for sure. They'll they'll know, and they're they're trying to tell you. But can we listen to them? Are we are we paying attention? And you know, it's uh, again you talked about that. You know, uh, superior intellect. Uh, you know, they're more instinctual than us. So you know, just it's it's simpler for them. You know, we'd have to kind of articulate and dissect and understand everything. And if we just go in, okay, you don't want to go there? Obviously, you've got a reason. That's it. I don't need to know it. Just like you didn't need to go and, you know, discover the bear to to pay attention to the nudging of, no, we're going this way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we need to pay attention to that. You know, I also used Kokomo was so friendly with, with people, incredibly friendly, and she never forgot people. But if she sat there with hackles up or the uh, the, no, the mouth going, the gums going, then uh uh-uh, mm-hmm. that 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 person she knew something about that person that I didn't, and I'm being humanly polite, but she's registering something else altogether. So you know, pay attention. They can give us so much. They can educate us so much if we just got out of our own way. It, you know, it, it, it's funny. I several years ago I worked with a wonderful couple. It amuses me how different people's sizes get attracted to each other. But the the wife was about five foot one, five foot two. The husband was about six foot ten, about three hundred and eighty pounds. Giant of a man. I remember shaking his hand, thinking, "Please don't squeeze hard." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they they came to one of our our dog psychology and, and behavior modification seminars, and and uh, he sat at the back of the room with his arms folded, very closed body language, and I thought, oh boy, what's up with this gentleman? And uh, at the end of the, the first evening with, where we cover all of the theory, he, uh, he started to open up his body language a little bit. And he and his wife waited until all of the other people had left the room, and he came up to me and, and, and thanked me for the evening and was looking forward to the next day for the practical application with the dogs. And, and he said, you know... He said, we've got this dog, and he says, I've owned 16 dogs over my lifetime, and and I was extremely reluctant to come here, and I thought, oh, really? I hadn't noticed that. (laughs) (laughs) And and he said, you know, this dog's got some behavior issues, and and I I was very frustrated. I didn't think we should spend the money to to go and take a course. How, How could we not know how to solve it when we've had all of these dogs in the past? And he said, my wife basically gave me a choice, either come to the meeting or sleep on the couch for the rest of my life. So I'm here. <laughs> he said it was a, a very quiet drive here. But he says, I, I decided that I would humble myself a little bit. And I thought, well, at least if I learn one or two new things, it, at least it won't be a waste of money. So I'm, I'm, I'm here. And he says, now I wanted to come up and, and apologize to my wife in front of you. And I thought, oh, boy. So he knelt down on one knee like he was about to propose, and he apologized to his wife, and he said uh, that he was extremely humbled, and he said, I didn't know any of this. I didn't know any of this dog psychology. I'm absolutely shocked at how much I have learned. And he said, how could I possibly, possibly have had 16 dogs and not have known any of this? Uh And the next day, he was my absolute best student. He was fantastic. And, you know, there's a point there. You know, 16 dogs. He was caught in one routine of, of probably superiority and not paying attention to what the dog was saying or communicating, not opening up those channels at all, and, you know, wasn't willing to learn from the dog. 
just maybe willing to impose what the dogs should do. It's a two-way street, isn't it? It, it, you're right, and it's it's going to be frustrating imposing human psychology on a dog. You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't bring a snake into our house and treat it like a human. We wouldn't bring a giraffe into our house and treat it like a human or an alligator, whatever the situation is. And yet we bring these dogs into our home and we implement human psychology with them and expect them to respond. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's no different. They have a completely different set of psychology than we do. So. I really feel it's part of our responsibility to to break out of our comfort zone and and try better to understand them. I hundred percent agree with you, and you know it's the reason why we're doing shows like this just to enlighten people, and uh, you know that uh, you're not well training the hu- the dog, you know to to show up that what a good dog I have. You're well training the dog to know how to communicate with you and you to learn to communicate with the dog. Now you've really got a good, solid relationship. And you can go far, anywhere, with Effect- that dog. But it, you've, it's mutual respect, isn't it? Absolutely. Effective communication, mutual trust, mutual respect, that's the solid foundation to any relationship. Yes. And just because they're on four legs doesn't mean that they should be any more inferior um, uh, you know, then, then a relationship with a child, a relationship with anybody else, and if you treat that animal the same way as you would treat your best friend, um, y- you're you're going to be fine. Looking down on the animal as a superior, uh-uh, you're inviting problems. <laughs> Absolutely, just like my best friend, I'm going to seek to understand my best friend before I'm going to try and impose any of my beliefs. Right. Exactly. And again, the loyalty of a dog uh, beats anybody, anytime, anywhere. Um, as I said, I can't wait to get another one, but I'm going to. I'm going to be disciplined myself right now, wait till I'm in a better situation. But I, I will most certainly get another dog again, just because I know the love is like no other. Um, and I, th- I think ev- uh, people who do have dogs and truly open up to understanding that, I think they learn so much about how to love in their lives, you know. Just well, Sarah, if you're missing, if you're missing your dog that much, you should come over for a visit because we have a nice little litter of puppies here right now. You can come and play with them. Yes, and then then I'll be. I want to take one home, and it'll drive me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just over at my daughter's place for the weekend, and uh, she has kittens. And she's got one cat that they've got right from the word go, and it's spoiled, and it's you know thinks it's a tiger, and it's out in the garden chasing, and it loves to pounce and play. And they rescued another cat that was, they think, a street cat. They're not quite sure of its history, but it's very timid. So this one is hissing at the other one, and the other one wants to jump and pounce on it to play. So, and I'm watching these two kind of be neurotic parents of <laughs> these two cats at the present moment. And eventually, they left them al- left them alone, let them do their thing, and one hissed, one jumped, and then they both just walked away from each other. So, <laughs> uh, a different breed altogether, cats, aren't they? Absolutely. Not quite. I don't think you can discipline a cat too much, can you? Not the same way as a dog. I, I, you know, there's a lady in Seattle that does cat psychology. Perhaps you could. Look into that for a future show. I think that would be an excellent idea because I think cats, <laughs> cats think they're here to rule us. 
and you know any rules for them is you know excuse me no <laughs> so yeah that that would be a very good one most certainly well i thank you so much for being here with us today we've learned a lot from you so um, anybody wanting to get their dog trained or understand you know the psychology before before they even go and choose a dog because i recommend they reach out to you and and uh, do this before the theory at least before they even choose a dog so they make sure they choose the right one and of course anybody with anybody or autistic spectrum or on any form of mental disorder really because dogs again the unconditional love and understanding is very very calming to anybody with a troubled mind so how do they get hold of you and um, you know and join up on your classes they can go to our website, uh, dogsdogacademy.ca. Uh, dog they can reach us there, and or they're welcome. There. To, absolutely, it is. Or they're welcome to call us seven seven eight two five seven seventeen ninety five. Right, and they can email you at dean at dogacademy.ca as well. Absolutely, love to hear from people. Call and us anytime. And you've got your Facebook, Dean Dot A U D E T. And uh, then catch up on what you're doing up there. And uh, some excellent. Well, you know, it's. I uh, thank you for sharing this. I mean, dogs are our best friend. I mean, you know, I posted a picture here on the posting of a dog in the hospital with a child, and we know how much calmness and love and and care that they bring just by huddling with somebody, you know, in a hospital bed, or seniors, which is awful when they don't allow seniors to have animals, but you know, how calming and how caring and how loving it is. And they are such wonderful healing creatures and we really should be looking at them on a therapeutic side a great deal more. Absolutely. Sarah, thank you very much for having me. My, my life has gone to the dogs and anybody that wants to join me, they're welcome to contact us. <laughs> it's a good life when it goes to the dogs. <laughs> 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 thank you so much for sharing with me here today. And, you know, folks, animals are the, your best friend. But you've got to understand they are beautiful, unique, special creatures that deserve your respect um, and your honor of them. And never, ever forget that. So get to know who they are and what, you know, how to communicate with them. And understand you are no higher than them. You just speak a different language. Until next time, folks. <laughs>